chromosome. Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bro. It's time now for the People's War Radio Show, where we do talk about the main virus. And that is colonialism. Here on the People's War Radio Show, we talk with healthcare workers, activists, revolutionaries, authors, teachers, and regular people from the African community. We aim to bring you an African internationalist analysis on all things important to winning our freedom from colonialism. The root of all our problems. Uhuru, welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matamela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tangu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. The revolutionary upsurge of the African working class has forced the topic of reparations into the popular international discourse. Virginia Theological Seminary has begun paying reparations to the descendants of the enslaved Africans that it had owned. This follows reparations plans put in place by other universities, such as Brown University in Rhode Island and Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. In July 2020, Asheville, North Carolina, approved what has been deemed as a reparations plan for African residents in the city. Evanston, Illinois, has also made news for passing what it also terms as reparations, which gives housing grants to Africans as a repair for the legacy of colonial slavery. Today, we talk with two activists who are leading a campaign that goes much further than those initiatives. Chimaranga Silimbao is the National Director of Organization for the African People's Socialist Party USA. Born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, Chimaranga is a lifelong member of the Uhura Movement, Chimaranga oversees the work of the Uhura Movement organizations in the United States. Akile Anai is editor of the Burning Spear newspaper, a monthly Black Power journal in continuous publication since the height of the Black Revolution of the 60s. Four years ago in 2017, at age 21, and again in 2019, she ran for St. Petersburg City Council, the first candidate of any election internationally to run on the platform of reparations. Akile was featured in Ebony Magazine as a millennial of change and led a campaign for justice for three drowned Black girls murdered by the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Welcome to the show, Chimaranga and Akile. It's good to be here. It's great to have you. So, Chimaranga, what is the Reparations Now campaign that you are leading in St. Petersburg, Florida? Well, the Reparations Now campaign is... Uh part of a campaign that's being led by the Reparation Now Committee. It actually had its uh, genesis in 
the campaigns run by uh, Comrade Akile and I in 2017 and 2019, and uh, what we've done here in this reparations uh, now committee, you know, we have revived the demand for reparations in the, as a uh, uh, in the form of 86 acres under the Tropicana Dome in St. Petersburg, Florida. Uh, in the mid-1980s, uh, that land was uh, occupied by more than 100 black businesses, more than 800 black families, more than black nine black churches. Um, and the city of St. Petersburg uh, used a, a scam to come up with a plan to get black people to essentially uh, sell their property and then uh, under the pretense that they were going to bring light industry and jobs as a couple of years went by after they had uh, gotten control of that property, that 86 acres, uh, the city said, oops, uh, couldn't any find anybody to do light industry, so we're going to build a baseball stadium. We don't have a baseball team, but we're going to be a baseball team. So it uh, took them a couple of years to get a baseball team. And in 1990, they completed the construction of uh, what was then called Suncoast Dome. Uh, it got its uh, Tropicana name later on after Tropicana Juice Company bought the naming rights. But uh, the Uhura Movement was the only organization actually opposing that baseball team who was playing, playing its first home game at Tropicana Field. We were the first uh, and only organization that actually opposed that. And uh, with direct action, a couple of our members went to jail. Uh, they did, of course, continue to play. But uh, now we've come full circle. And the city of St. Petersburg is now saying the team wants to leave, so we want to develop that property. And um, they expect that that property is now worth more than a billion dollars. And they want to, uh, they've sent out proposals and they say they're going to farm out these, uh, this proposal to this uh, request to develop uh, to one company. They've narrowed it down to two. And uh, we're saying neither one of these proposals is legitimate. The only proposal that's legitimate for the African community is reparations. The land was stolen from black people. And uh, we say uh, reparations now take that. Don't. Oh, 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 yeah. Thanks for that. Because as you mentioned, this is merely the recent leg in your defense of the African community. So can you tell us a little more about the opposition that you all led? against the construction of the dome in the 80s and the 90s? What's some of the actions that you all had led and conducted and things like that? So we led a, a few demonstrations uh, that, I, uh, as I stated before, included direct action. As a matter of fact, I remember I, I took an arrest myself, and uh, those arrests were uh, blocking traffic, obstructing traffic coming to the Tropicana field for the, for the home games, for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. And uh, like I said, we were, we were sort of a lonely voice out there opposing it. And now uh, the African community is uh, now facing another, what we call, tropa scam, 
traffic scam two. Uh, that was Tropicana, Tropic Scam one that they did back in the eighties, and now it's Tropic Scam two that they're trying to pull off with this. Uh, totally ignoring the fact that they stole this land from the black people, and uh, now they're just going about their business, saying we're going to develop this land with no regard for the African community at all. It's been an ongoing struggle, and uh, we believe that uh, because they uh, now want to redevelop, the team didn't work out. They have one of the lowest uh, attendance uh, records in the Major League Baseball. Team doesn't want to be here. We don't want them to be here. We feel like they should leave. Let them leave early and make them pay a $10 million penalty. And uh, that'll be the down payment on reparation. Director Keele, as it was mentioned, in 2017 and 2019, you ran for St. Petersburg City Council. Your campaign was the first campaign to put reparations on the ballot. You gained coverage throughout various sectors of the media for your campaign, including The Breakfast Club and Ebony Magazine. What impact did your campaign have on the current stage of the struggle for reparations for African people? So I first feel it necessary to state that this election, the whole electoral campaign was a part of a struggle that was initiated by Chairman Amalia Shatella, the leader and founder of the African People's Socialist Party and the Uhuru Movement. Um, you know, this struggle, uh, particularly to make reparations a household word, um, you know, was really brought to the world in 1980s and specifically in 1982, uh, where the chairman and the party organized the first international world tribunal. Now we become the first of 12 consecutive tribunals that we would have um, that would, you know, compile our case for reparations, compile the evidence and testimony um, dealing with all sorts of colonial contradictions that have been imposed on African people. All of that information was, you know, brought together when we organized our own courts and, um, you know, came to and used international law to come to, you know, a verdict uh, that the U.S. was guilty um, and owed uh, reparations to African people in the U.S. for stolen labor alone. And so in 2017 and 2019, those campaigns represented a historical continuum of the, you know, the struggle that the chairman initiated uh, back then. Um, and we can see the impact of, you know, the work that began uh, really in the 80s and um, has continued through this electoral process where through the elections in and of themselves, it uh, elevates the struggle to a certain platform, um, which is, you know, a, a platform that is uh, commonly regarded as the more legitimate uh, form of uh, political struggle. Um, that's what the bourgeoisie, you know, um, usually characterizes the the electoral arena as it's a legitimate form of political struggle. And um, we, we brought this reparations demand to the uh, electoral arena and it was a very important, um, you know, it was a very important campaign and a determination that we made to really push the reparations demand, despite the fact that we live in the colonial South, um, despite the fact that we got a lot of pushback, um, especially overwhelmingly from the white population around this question of reparations. But it was really critical because the discussion was being had 
um, you know, on this level that, um, you know, had it was it was a question. Reparations was something that was contained in the closet, and it was something that now everybody had to deal with. It was in their face, and you know, they were asking questions: How reparations was going to happen? Who was it going to go to? Who was who was going to pay it? But the fact of the matter is, they had to ask those questions. And today, it was mentioned about Evanston, and there's various places uh, throughout this country and internationally that are passing legislation and discussing reparations payments and different poverty programs that they are uh, using to uh, using reparations as like the, the blanket word to define these poverty programs. And, you know, it's something that the U.S. presidential um, elections could not stop talking about and they had to talk about that because of what the party has done over the last 40 or more years dealing with this question specifically on reparations and the elections were just a part of you know that reparation struggle and um you know it, it bringing it to the electoral arena really burst it wide open and it allowed for people who have never had to deal with this question before to finally engage in this discussion and say which side of the line do they stand on so yeah we see you know just an incredible impact um people have the permission to talk about reparations and you know in any forum at the city council meetings now and that was something that you know, was not happening. And every, you know, when we mentioned reparations, we would get this pushback and it was considered lunatic fringe politic. And now it's something that you have to speak to in, you know, in order to even um, gain any kind of support, specifically from an African base. Um, you have to talk about reparations, even if it's, you know, even what, even if what they're saying is meaningless and empty at the end of the day, the fact of the matter is they have to deal with this because we've created a crisis for them and the elections were a part of creating that crisis. Uhuru, absolutely. I, uh, we definitely seen the mainstream scrambling around, around that question of reparations. Something I wanted to also ask is, what ways did your electoral campaign connect to the demands of the Reparations Now campaign? I should also note that Chimaranga was my campaign manager for both of those campaigns. And, um, you know, as he stated, the campaigns that we ran, um, not that the struggle around the dome began with these elections. Obviously, that's not the case, uh, as we just learned um, about the struggles we were engaged in in the 80s and the 90s. But um, uh, we define what taking back the land under the dome would look like with these campaigns. And it it happened um, as a consequence of, you know, the, the bourgeois media uh, as a part of their attack campaign against us saying that we didn't have a plan and, you know, what they're talking about, give the dome back, you know, what does that look like? And um, Chimaranga, you know, brilliantly laid out how this democratic process of returning the land to the black community could happen. So that was on our platforms. We put reparations um, in the form of the dome. You know, that is one form of reparations to the African community of St. Petersburg. And um, so it's, and so as Chimaranga mentioned, it's like sort of like the genesis of the campaign that we're involved in now, Take Back the Dome uh, Reparations Now. Um, and it was, again, something that was directly on our platform. We were calling for that land as a form of reparations. And we're just taking that demand and this struggle 
you know, and taking it beyond the electoral arena and organizing it in on several different fronts. Um, but it's directly, you know, derived from the campaigns. It's basically to say, too, that the campaigns, the electoral campaigns is not where we began and finished our work. Um, this is a part of a continuum. So, you know, we, you know, use the elections to bring this question to a broader audience. And, you know, now this reparations uh, now take back the dome campaign is is going right to the streets and organizing the African working class communities and organizing support in the white community and organizing support wherever we can get it uh, for the um, uh, this demand to return that land back to the black community. So directly connected. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that, Director Akile. Chimaranga, gentrification has devastated the African community of St. Petersburg. Tropicana Field, as you noted, stands where the historic African gas plant district once stood. So what can you tell us about the African community in the gas plant district? Well, I can tell you that uh, that that area was called by the bourgeoisie gas plant area, but it was also part of what we call Methodist Town. That was going toward the north side of, of, of the city. You you would have to imagine these 86-acre stretch for quite a ways is, is more than just the Tropicana Dome. It's also the parking lot. Uh, the west parking lot was also built over a... Um, they tore down a, a black small like housing project, and they also tore, uh, built over a, a black graveyard uh, in in uh, in the west parking lot. So uh, Methodist Town, uh, as I stated before, it had more than a hundred uh, black businesses, more than eight hundred black families, nine black churches. So it wasn't just a handful of African people being displaced. They changed the whole economy of the African community, that's a uh, hundred black businesses. That's a lot. So uh, we have never recovered from that. And, uh, you know, while the bourgeoisie calls it progress, uh, it's progress for who? Progress for the bourgeoisie. And I really want to appreciate Director Akile for uh, clarifying that Chairman O'Malley Shetela had everything to do with uh, developing the strategy around uh, not only her campaign, but the whole strategy around uh, targeting the dome as a component of reparations. Uh, by the way, uh, the dome was not the only uh, was not going to be targeted as the only reparations source uh, for a program that I will talk a little bit about later. Uh, reparations Land Trust and Development Authority would have took control over. Uh, pieces of land on the south side within a targeted and designated area. So it would have been more than the dome. It would have stretched all the way to the uh, avenue south, uh, which would have given us control over uh, several large swaths of land. Uh, the, the community of Methodist Town is a tragic, but it was a brutal attack on the social life, the economic life of the African community. And you can't get that back. What we can do, do is demand reparations, get reparations in uh, the form of those 86 acres, 
develop that land in the interest of African people, uh, create affordable housing on it, create retail stores where black people can open up businesses. Uh, that's the only democratic uh, move that can be made that, that is legitimate, uh, where black people will uh, gain control of the land that they lost. So it is bigger than Methodist Town, bigger than what they call the gas plant area. Uh, but that was a major economic and social hit uh, for the African community to have that land stolen from the African community. Uhura, appreciate that, Chimaringa. Um, Director Akile, as Chimaringa was talking about, the Tropicana field was a part of a larger scheme to steal land from the African community in St. Petersburg. Can you expand on that? And how does gentrification continue to attack the African community in St. Pete? Yeah, I think that you know, even how the whole dome came to be and that, you know, it was a collaboration with the bourgeoisie and the African petty bourgeoisie in the city. Um, and, you know, it was, this was the the plot. Um, and, you know, they started with uh, the land of the dome and the 22nd street business district on the South side of St. Pete. Um, and, you know, these, these were places that were not far apart um, where Africans had a sense of a community and economic development. And, um, you know, you take away the people's economy, uh, you take away the people's ability to feed, clothe and house themselves. And then you literally begin to draw up, you know, the lines, draw up the districts in different ways to include, you know, a, a bigger white population and decrease the African population um, within a district. And that influences, you know, elections, who gets, uh, you know, put into office. And, you know, all of this is a part of, I mean, it was gentrification, the removal of black people from this city on all of these different levels, um, you know, from, again, the gerrymandering to just, you know, the whole, I mean, literally raising over black communities and, um, you know, in terms of, you know, what that looks like today. So, you know, it, it, it started with the dome and um, the crushing of economic development, any semblance of it within the African community. And, um, you know, everything that's happened subsequent and, and what it did to, you know, families that had historic ties here who owned their homes, um, you know, for decades. Now those families are gone. And today, you know, they have these wealthy land developers calling up grandmothers and praying, you know, on elderly people to elderly Africans to, you know, to take their homes, um, to get them to pressuring them to sell their homes. And, you know, the, the cost of housing is being, you know, driven up with all of the luxury apartments and condominiums that they continue to build around us. You know, Chimarango reminds us that the, the city of St. Pete is 95% built out. So now they're going inward. And um, all of this, all of this development, all of these things that are, uh, you know, that they say, you know, St. Pete on the rise and the progress for St. Pete, all of it is, you know, this, it's a part of this attack to remove the black population out of St. Pete. I mean, they, they really don't have any intention for there to be a black community in the city of St. Pete 
within the next couple of years. And I say couple of years because it's happening at such an incredible pace now. And the and not just the the the, the rise of the, the high rises that are going up around us that represent a certain kind of imminent threat and uh, uh, certain violence, but you know, just the actual colonial violence that we have to um, that we're forced to live under the the brutalization um, and the occupation coming from the police. And, you know, even the situation in our communities becoming more desperate as resources become more scarce. You know, this is the toll that gentrification takes. It's it. I mean, you know, it's it is it's just a really vicious and genocidal process um, that's happening. And the dome and the theft of that land is, you know, just representative of that. Again, you crippled the any semblance of an economy that we had, anything that we could develop um, to be able to do for ourselves. They stripped our people of that and um, they increased the, the military occupation of our community. And they just choked this community, you know, to the point where it, the only choice you do have, um, you know, is, is to get out and, um, and to find someplace else to live. So, you know, that's, yeah, the, the, the whole Tropicana scam, Tropa scam, um, was a part of a greater scheme to remove black people from the city. And, you know, this is just what it's looking like today. It's, happening incredibly fast and people who lived, who can remember, you know, living in the gas plant, you know, um, you know, can, can say to you how much, you know, the city has transformed over their very eyes. And, and some of those people who even say that don't live here anymore, um, as a consequence of that, um, uh, displacement is too nice of a word. So, yeah. Oh, thank you for that. Chimaranga, your petition reads, we the undersigned, speaking as an African or Black resident or an ally of the Black community, demand that the city of St. Petersburg immediately implement the Land Reparations and Development Authority as the true and just repair for years of imposed poverty, police murders of Black people, and ongoing theft and scams designed to take land from the Black community with little or no compensation. So, that being said, what can you tell us about the Land Reparations and Development Authority that you are proposing? In, in Akile's campaign, uh, when we developed this project, it was called the Reparations Land Trust and Development Authority. Uh, so we have to correct that error. But we're going exactly with uh, what was developed during Akile's campaign. And that land trust, that Reparations Land Trust and Development Authority, as I was stating before, would actually take control of land, city on land inside the city of St. Petersburg and decide that land trust authority would decide what, would, how that land would be uh, redeveloped. <clears throat> that includes the 86 acres under Tropicana Field. We believe that it, it just makes total sense. Uh, these, this was land stolen from African people. And the city is just going about their business saying, okay, we're going to redevelop this land. Yeah, we knew we stole it from black people, but, uh, you know, first they tried to pretend uh, during the 2019 election that they were going to do what they call a 2% benefit agreement. And uh, then they backed off of that and said, well, we didn't say a number. Uh, they never explained what this 2%, how that was going to work, how a private developer was going to make sure that 2% of whatever they profited went to the black community. 
Now there's no discussion about any kind of benefit agreement, which I knew we knew that was going to be the case all the time. <clears throat> but Achille had rightfully so attacked even the, the question of a 2% benefit agreement. Achille said, well, if a robber stole $100 from you and then came back and said, I want to pay reparations, I'm going to give you $2 back, nobody would accept that. That would be insane. So uh, that's what we're have, having happen here. Even if they had said it would be a 2% uh, benefit agreement, it would have been crazy to even accept something like that. So we're not saying 2% benefit agreement, 50%. We're saying we want the whole thing. Black people must have reparations. The 86 acres under the dome would be a start to create and transform the economy in the African community. So it's only 58,000 Africans in the city of St. Petersburg, 258,000 people total. So we believe this, uh, this issue, winning this issue for reparations, is going to have a tremendous impact on the African community. It's going to change a lot of things. So uh, we, we believe you start attacking the question of jobs, even the redevelopment itself is going to produce hundreds of jobs, and then permanent jobs are going to be produced uh, after it's created, uh, after we create housing and uh, reimagine the Tropicana Dome as a re re retail uh, center where we can have uh, an incubator for black businesses and, and really move the African community forward, move the needle on. Uh, economic development. That's what we're going to do and transform the African community. <clears throat> we believe it's the only legitimate program that's being put out there. These other programs are, are, are just more scams from the city. Lies, lies, and more lies. That's what we say from the city. Uh, so uh, we that's not good enough. We're not going to go for it. Uh, we got scammed once back in the 80s. We're not going to be scammed again. When we win this struggle, it's going to be because we fought for it, uh, because we knew what the city was doing was wrong. And uh, when you steal something, you must repair the damage. That's what reparations means, uh, repairing damage. And we believe that a great deal of damage has happened here. And reparations is the only way to repair that damage. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU. Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Chimaranga Silambao and Akile Anai. So, Chimaranga, picking up on that. You have been in the struggle for reparations to African people for your entire political life. In fact, in 2001, you attended the World Conference Against Racism in Durban, South Africa. During another moment in time when reparations was a popular demand throughout a variety of political quarters, how was that experience? Um, I think you could say it was a great political experience. One, that was the first time I'd ever been to, to Africa. Me and another comrade from the movement, from the African People's Social Party, went. And uh, the World Conference was a United Nations-sponsored event. Many forces in the United States, African forces had coalesced around the question of reparations to African people. And uh, we made a big banner that said reparations to the uh, one billion colonized Africans. And uh, 
uh, that Nana was videoed in South Africa. People saw it all over the world. And uh, we think we had a, a big impact while we were there. Uh, I got a chance to hear Fidel Castro speak. Uh, it was just a tremendous uh, political experience. But we got a chance to be right there in the discussion about reparations, uh, how reparations should look. And uh, by the way, this was in September of 2001. And uh, unfortunately, for the movement, uh, the day after I returned from South Africa, that uh, what was a great diplomatic victory for African people, putting the U.S. and other colonial powers on the spot and making the demand for reparations. Uh, the day after I returned was the day that the uh, World Trade Center was attacked. So um, it sort of uh, took the attention away from the demand for reparations. Some of the groups who had even been saying, yes, reparations were now due, the NAACP, for example, said, well, now we can't. You know, now we have to kind of put that in the background and everybody come together and that kind of stuff. So it did push the reparations. Uh, the question of reparations was pushed back on the political backburn. Now it's been gaining clearly more steam. Akile mentioned her two campaigns. She was the first uh, reparations candidate probably in the world, certainly in the United States in 2017. Uh, she continued that thrust into 2019, and uh, she gained national publicity uh, for her efforts. Uh, just a great campaign, great candidate uh, that she was. Uh, but I think that we have to continue to fight this thing. Is This is not going to be an easy battle to win. The bourgeoisie is intent on getting control of that property from the city. There are a lot of players out there in this thing, the city, the mayor is being termed out. He will not be the mayor as of January. Other people running for mayor are in contention with him saying, look, this decision around the Tropicana field should be made by the new mayor. So there's a lot of contending forces going on, uh, kind of fighting this thing out. And uh, we are certainly one of them. But our, our thing is that Nobody is defending and fighting for the rights and the, uh, the economic rights of the African community, except uh, the Reparations Now Committee that was formed by the International People's Democratic Movement. It's, it's, it's a battle, and uh, we're going to fight it to the end. Uhuru. Uhuru. I appreciate that, Chimaranga. May 31st marked the 100th anniversary of the white nationalist military assault against the African community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, commonly known as the Tulsa or Black Wall Street Riot. This has received a fair amount of media attention. In fact, President Joseph R. Biden marked May 31st, 2021 as a day of me remembrance. Yet despite this, survivors and their descendants of the Tulsa riot have repeatedly been denied reparations. Florida ranked seventh highest in the official list of lynchings of African people. The Tampa Bay area has some historic cases of colonial violence against African people as well. Director Akile, can you explain some of the local history of colonial violence against Africans in St. Pete 
the Tampa Bay area, and throughout Central Florida. How does this lay the material basis for the demand of reparations? Yeah, so just like, you know, every place um, in specifically in this country, um, you know, uh, and and Florida uh, also is a a place and I know it's not really regarded as um, as such today. It kind of gets its own distinction in a certain kind of way, at least what I've from what I've noticed. But it's a part of the colonial South. And um, that in and of itself has uh, certain implications in terms of the conditions and the treatment and um, uh, of Africans here. And, you know, one, St. Pete is Tulsa. Um, and, you know, our, our bombing was the instance of the dome being dropped on the gas plant and, you know, the destruction of that community and the uh, railroading of the the uh, 22nd street business district with an inner interstate built through it. Um, again, crushing homes, crushing um, an economy and um, giving, you know, white citizens access to better access to the beaches. Um, but, you know, that, so, you know, that, so St. Pete um, is not this uh, the special place or, or something that's different from, you know, every other place, every inch of this country um, that was, you know, stolen um, from indigenous people and, and where Africans were brought to, um, you know, forced to, to work and produce, you know, everything uh, on this soil today. Even to that point, you know, we think of Florida, you think of swampland and just the fact that this this area, this territory, um, you know, Africans were used to uh, clear out the swamps and specifically in St. Pete. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure throughout this state, I mean, Africans were used to clear out the swamps to pave the way for what would become a vibrant tourist economy for the bourgeoisie. And I'm sure people have historically heard of the the, the term of uh, gator bait and, you know, the use of African babies um, as, you know, baits for uh, alligators so that, you know, white people could, you know, catch gator. And, um, you know, this was a part of the colonial torture, the violence, um, the murder of African people. And, <clears throat> you know, th- that you know, that, and it's just so entrenched and, and just speaking specifically from St. Pete, where I'm born, where I was raised, um, you know, in 1914, you had the lynching of John Evans, where this African man was hung, strung up to a light post, and his body was riddled with bullets, um, you know, from ordinary white people, you know, riddling his body uh, uh, of bullets. And then, you know, and, and then having, you know, some of the, the, most important prominent figures of that time of St. Pete at the lynching of this African and, um, you know, how there's a park, Straub Park, that's named after, you know, one of the people that were present at the, um, at the lynching of John Evans and that this, 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 that's a park that people can go to that, you know, people can, you know, have their lunches and, you know, play at. And, but that's, that's a statement of St. Pete. And I know we've uh, famously known 1966 where the chairman tore down this white nationalist mural that hung in City Hall, which was an assault on the, you know, the the pride and and, um, you know, and it was at, you know, at the expense it's humiliating for African working class people. All of these things that um, culminate into, you know, a really profound case for reparations and 
again, it just goes with all the testimony that Africans have been providing for, you know, uh, as, as recently as this reparation struggle has been made over the last over, over 40 years. And, um, you know, a part of our, uh, you know, real 400, 500 year case, uh, really as to why reparations are owed to African people. But, um, specifically in this area, I mean, you know, these, again, it's the colonial South African labor has been exploited. African lives have been stolen, um, to be able to bring profit to the bourgeoisie and the, and the white world. Um, and you know, the, the, the beautification of downtown St. Pete and the boutiques and the cafes and the, and the bars and, um, you know, the beach life, all of that, all of that exists because of what African people have had to suffer, what we've had to go through and what we have to continuously go through in order for that life to be maintained. Um, Africa today, I mean, Africa, an African just last year, you know, this young brother gets gunned down with, his body riddled with 30 bullets in broad daylight um, right across the street from the Uhuru house. This this is happening right now. Um, and, you know, just like John Evans being, you know, uh, shot at, you know, uh, while his body hangs from a light post. I mean, this brother is gunned down in broad daylight 30 times. And, you know, it's just, that's normal. That is everyday life, um, you know, in this area. And that's the colonial violence that Africans are, you know, forced to live under, that is imposed on us. And it's really important for us to recognize that the the development of that dome, which people do not have, you know, people who weren't born during that time, who didn't live there, they have no recollection of it, don't know how the dome got there. And, you know, just think it's, it's, it's normal, it's, it's being there is normal. And, um, you know, they, we have to begin to understand this history to know what it is that they did to um, our people in our community and why that's directly related to the conditions of poverty, humiliation, and gentrification, the suffering that we experience today. So, you know, um, yeah, it, it's deep. Point 11 of the African People's Socialist Party 14-point platform calls for reparations to African people. It reads, We want the U.S. and the international European ruling class and states to pay Africa and African people for the centuries of genocide, oppression, and enslavement of our people. We believe that the U.S. and European civilization were born from and are presently maintained by the horrendous theft of human and material resources from Africa and its people. We also believe that this theft of human and material resources is responsible for the present underpopulation and underdevelopment of Africa and her people, and the political servitude, material impoverishment, and cultural discontinuity and disintegration of African people throughout the world. We believe that Africa and African people are due reparations, just economic compensation, billions, and we can say trillions of dollars, which must be paid to the Organization of African Unity or any other legitimate international organization of African people for equitable distribution for the development of Africa. We also believe that Reparations must be distributed to the various independent states dispersed throughout the world and to the legitimate representatives of African people 
forcibly dispersed throughout the world who have not yet won liberation. Written in 1979, this was a groundbreaking political position. Chimaranga, why is it important that any demands for reparations be international? Oh, so why was it imperative for you all at that time to take the demand for reparations out of the hands of the legal community and place it into the hands of the African working class? Well, uh, one, we felt like to, to really move the needle on the question of reparations, it had to be in the hands of ordinary African people, ordinary African workers. About 94% of the African population is considered working class. Six, seven percent is considered African petty bourgeoisie or middle class. And and we believe that that vast majority of African people uh, having uh, seized control of the demand for reparations is what would move it forward. Uh, There's no legal quote-unquote legal uh, remedy that is going to be issued by a U.S. court to say that black people are owed reparations. They've already made several different kinds of determinations. They don't have jurisdiction, X, Y, and Z. So they are the oppressor nation. The courts of the oppressor nation are never going to say that the oppressed, the colonized nation of African people is is old reparations. It must be an international demand because they, when they seized African people, captured us in in our homeland of Africa. They took us all over the world, and uh, some of those places that call themselves free have nominal independence, have flag independence, uh, have created black states, but neo-colonialism still exists. So condition of the vast majority of African workers and peasants still remains the same. And it really proves that the demand for reparations must be in the hands of the African working class. It doesn't mean a check uh, necessarily for each individual, although we're not opposed to that. We're saying reparations must transform the African community. It is not a transformative uh, thing is is not reparations. Uh, For example, in Evanston, Illinois, where, you know, they have what they are calling reparations through a housing repair program is so restrictive, uh, they are eliminating most of the people who, uh, most of the African community. And on top of that, uh, the reparations payments are coming from taxes from legalized marijuana. So that means the black people who buy marijuana legally also paying their own reparations. So these these types of distorted schemes that, that claim to be reparations, I know some people say, well, it's a start. Well, it's a bad start. That's, that's why we were making the demand for or we want it all. We want the 86 acres under the dome. We want all the land owned by the city that is on the south side of St. Petersburg. That's the only true reparations that can be had. Uh, this is a inter- it's part of an international demand. We have, we have to have an international organization because the problem is international. Everywhere we go, we see the 
colonization of African people is either neocolonialism or just straight out colonialism. So, uh, of course, we have to fight a revolution and win that revolution to end colonialism. But the question of reparations must be a revolutionary demand within the context of winning our total freedom from colonial capital or colonial capitalism. Uh, Director Akile, uh, now that we've talked about that, what's your thoughts on that? Um, Evanston, Asheville, all these other places are putting together reparations plans. But what y'all are doing is far different than that. How can you tell us the difference? Well, I mean, just as Chimrango was stating about the restrictions of, you know, Evanston and, and various places like it that are, you know, passing, you know, or attempting to pass um you know, something, and it really is like another poverty program, uh, another, you know, type of charity program that doesn't um, put the power of being able to feed, clothes, and house ourselves and make our own determinations about how that looks in the possession of um, African workers. That's what the reparations demand in true looks like. It um, It's African workers being able to determine, to determine to say, first of all, this is what it looks like. And to second, this is what, you know, um, you know, this is how we want it. This is how we will develop it, you know, so on and so forth. But it gives us the ability to, to make the determinations that it happens on our terms and, and, and not these ones that they are trying to set for us. And, um, you know, that, and that's also a part of redef, you know, trying to, uh, redefine this definition of the one, the definition that we've put forward in terms of reparations, reparations as a revolutionary demand, something that is like Chimaranga mentioned, transformative for, of, of the conditions of African people. And, you know, places like Evanston and, you know, these are places that are responding to a crisis that we have created for them. But, um, you know, so they have to say something about reparations. Somebody has to pass a reparations bill or something has to to move through um, in order to, you know, pacify this growing demand for it. Um, however, it's in it. It's an attempt to really hijack even what it is that we mean when we say reparations. So, you know, uh, what this struggle does is not only puts this uh, the demand for reparations in the hands of the African working class, um, who's going to make that a, re- a material reality? Reparations is going to happen um, based on what the African working class does with that demand, but it also allows for us to have control over what that what that demand means, what reparations means uh, for um, the African uh, uh, struggle, and um, doesn't allow uh, for the bourgeoisie to hijack it, attempt to uh, take it all of these places. Um, that doesn't actually change the material conditions and doesn't actually require uh, for uh, specifically in this case the U.S. government um, to to return the wealth of the stolen labor resources and lives of African people it doesn't require to do that at all. If they can just pass this poverty program, uh, so you know we we're turning it all on its head with this campaign and we're going for it all and you know it's 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 not leaving the bourgeoisie spared in any way shape or form so those are the you know the the significant differences is it's it's different all around our demand for reparations is is totally different than you know what it is that they are saying is reparations in the form of some housing program or some medical marijuana forgiveness or marijuana forgiveness programs and 
and so on and so forth. Totally different game. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today are Chimaranga, Solombao, and Akile Anai. Alongside the reparations now Take Back the Dome campaign, the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement also has something called the African Reparations Claim, which produces a certificate allowing individual Africans the ability to charge the U.S. with genocide against African people and demand reparations. Why is this an important campaign? Who are some of the people who have historically signed the certificate? I haven't been directly working in the genocide campaign for for some time. uh, Michael Jackson even signed a reparations card back in the day when he was still alive. Uh, Wish we could find that card. But uh, the genocide campaign is closely tied to the demand for reparations because genocide is one of the outcomes of uh, colonial capitalism. And uh, it only reinforces the proof of the case for reparations by African people. So I think it's a really important campaign. More than 100,000 people have signed the petition for genocide, demanding U.S. be charged with genocide. I think that's really important. Uh, and uh, shortly after the George Floyd thing, I think the numbers really shot through the roof. It took us over 100,000. So it's, it's it's a really important campaign. I, I, I know that uh, NPDOM has worked very diligently on that uh, genocide campaign, and it's um, the stronger the genocide campaign is, the stronger our campaign for reparations. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Now, finally, you're calling on the entire African community and even white North Americans, anyone actually, to support your campaign. What are some actions that you all have held and are planning to hold? How can people get involved? So on May the 15th, we held a, a motorcade and we uh, did a couple of passes uh, doing a uh, Rays home game, home baseball game. Kind of took the police and patrons coming to the game by, a little bit by surprise. Uh, a few insults were yelled at us, get a job. <laughs> and uh, those white people who were yelling, get a job. Of course, jobs is what got us in this trouble in the first place. Uh, everybody had a job doing slavery, and uh, that's why they're able to go to a baseball game at Tropicana. So uh, we we believe it's important to uh, continue to, to make this fight. Um, we believe that uh, the African community, while not that large, it, it has a lot of power, uh, untapped power. So going to continue to fight for it and um, try to make it come to fruition. So if people want to sign the petition, where can they go? <clears throat> okay, you you can sign the petition on uh, a rally call right now. We're going to do a petition on change.org and I'll be able to uh, certainly you can email us at uh, reparationsisold at gmail.com <clears throat> or you can go to our Facebook uh, reparations now. 
So if uh, you go to either one of those places, you can get the information about signing the petition. We also have a hard copy of the petition uh, that we have more than 700 signatures on already. And we also are distributing the petition inside the North American community for solidarity with the demand for African reparations. So uh, go to our Facebook Reparations Now Committee. You can also email us, reparationsisold at gmail.com. Let us know you want to sign the petition. We'll bring it to your house. We'll give you some copies for you to get signed with your friends and neighbors. And uh, you can always give us a call as well, 727-914-3617. Oh, oh, oh. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guests today were Chimaringa Silambao and Akile Anai. So we say down with the colonial virus. Down with the colonial virus. This has been the People's War Radio Show. Produced by WBPU Black Power Radio at 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. The baddest nonprofit on the planet. Whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community. And address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Onk, visit developmentforafrica.org. Thank you for listening. Colonial virus, mass incarceration, that's colonial virus.